Welcome to Artist Praxis Podcast, where artists make meaning of their art making. Every week, we hear one artist's creative process, learning all about their most recent finished project. We discuss everything artists work with, from materials to thoughts, from dreams to gestures, from feelings to tools. At Artist Praxis Podcast, we stand for inclusivity and curiosity, connectivity and human warmth. Hello, we are Sara and Deborah. It is our pleasure to share with you another episode of the Artist Praxis Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. In this interview, we talked with artist Graham Lister about his recent work that is on view on our website artistpraxis.com and on Instagram at artistpraxis. It was a privilege to talk with Graham about his creative process. You can find out more about his work at his website, grahamlisterart.com, and on Instagram at lister underscore art. We have all the links listed on our show notes. Here at Artist Praxis, we hear all about the making of one work of art. Our interviews begin with the artists describing their work, and we end our conversation on the words play, rest, and nurture. We hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, so the, the work that, that I have made, I'm going to be talking about is Blue and Silver, and it's a relatively small painting. It's about 35 centimetres by 25 centimetres, and it's a, a little oil painting on board, which ostensibly looks like a, a re repeated pattern. It's, um, it resembles a weave almost in, in silver, almost like chain mail, but, but then quite obviously still with, with painted brush strokes. And... It's tight in that you can't quite see beyond the, the gaps that appear between the brush strokes, except at a few moments, the, the little, the, the joins, some of the corners, some of the, the edges of these paint marks, and just the smallest hint of something beyond that weave is visible, these little specks of blue. So the idea being that there's something beyond this surface, this, this woven paint surface, if you like, I've tried to create with this particular painting. Imagining that uh, in order to do this painting, there is a lot of planning <laughs> that goes before you start the brush strokes. Can you talk, tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, um, I suppose with with any painting, there's there's an element of planning. So even the, the artist that might say, I just put brush to surface and I start moving pigment around, there's still all this... Um, underlying training and thought and and uh, muscle memory that you have when you're you're making artwork so the, there's that sort of element of a, a known activity that goes into to all, all, all the, the works that I produce but a painting like this certainly I've really thought about the the type of weave that I want to create why I'm doing it what is the the, the rationale that, that sits behind this and then for the painting itself the planning that that goes into it is much more about the, the, the thickness of the weave, the, the quality of the, the paint that I'm pushing around and, and really planning to make sure that I've got the right consistency of paint, that I've mixed up enough paint from the get-go because you, you get like one chance at this. And if you start to make errors, then you, you scrap the whole thing, you, you scrape it all off and you start again is the, the way that I really think through this and the, the way that I really create these works. So when you started describing the painting, you said the word tight on the weave, about the weave. And uh, you mentioned this blue that um, 
brings the idea there is something beyond, right, in the painting. I'm imagining that that's connected to what you're saying about your interest and um, your thinking and planning behind the painting. I'm very interested in hearing more about that. Yeah, so I've always got an idea in my head of, of what I want the, the overall feeling of the painting to be like. And with this, it was something that felt quite cold on the surface, but had some degree of warmth or, or something. Like I, wouldn't want to, I don't want to say hope, but something that was, it was quite lively and quite positive behind it. So that's the, this quite calming sky blue that that's, I knew I wanted to peek through. And I wanted it to peek through just enough that someone, you know, the idea is that someone's sort of attracted to it. They change the, the distance from which they are to the surface of the painting. So the idea is the painting kind of draws you forward because it's got these little glimmers, these little sparkles almost uh, beyond what is quite uh, quite a, a static surface, a, a surface that, that isn't necessarily alluring. It's grey, it's, it's maybe almost machine-like. And the tightness of the weave, these, these things that are intersecting, that are doing so quite rhythmically, quite machine-like, isn't necessarily the the thing that we're drawn to, but we're drawn to the thing that's beyond that tight surface. How would you connect this painting with your practice overall and uh, with your vision, let's say, of space? Because of what I'm what I'm getting out of this painting right now, right at the beginning, right, is that it it creates a, a feeling of imposition somehow, <laughs> right? It is like imposing barrier by what you're saying, um, but there is some sort of invitation to it that uh, it's a small painting, right? It's a small painting that someone needs to get closer to see, yet it is a barrier that you're getting closer <laughs> to. So I, I really want to hear more about this interest that this painting creates and how it is connected with your own perception on, on this kind of like bodily re relation with painting, right? Yeah, so very much so. And for, for like a long time, I've, I've been interested in the ideas of, of barriers and physical spaces. So that's, it's changed over years. It's been to do with grills or bars in front of windows. It's to do with hoardings that block off building sites um, or chain link fences that separate one physical space from another. And all the social implications of, of these sorts of things telling us where we can access and where we can't, what's one person's property and, and what's not. And that idea of being inside or outside, being able to touch something in a physical area or not being told what to do by the the, the architectures that we have within our, our physical surroundings so that's been the, the underlying interest for a long time in the work that I produce both the, the paintings and in the more expanded sort of sculptural works as well and then when I'm, I'm I begin to paint these weaves sometimes on a small scale sometimes larger but with like with this small painting it's exactly as you say and I was really pleased to hear you describe it in that way that it it demands when it invites someone to come really close to it, which we wouldn't normally do to a barrier. The idea of, of changing your proximity to it, to going right up close to it. Firstly, to see that it it's, you know, on one level, it's a painting of a weave or a painting of a barrier, but on another level, it's kind of woven paint. It's more of a like an object that, that draws somebody towards it. So that's very much at the, the core of, of my thinking about how when you're painting, when you, you make something and then 
offer it up to be viewed by by other people it it has this power of attraction to them it can draw them towards a physical object or an idea or a process of, of trying to peek beyond something or it might instill in them a desire to want to touch something all these little bits of of information and possible outcomes are what i'm really interested in, in trying to play with with a work like this so it's on on a, an underlying level that idea of physical barriers but then also what happens when we make these aesthetic what happens when you invite somebody to look at stuff they wouldn't normally look at uh, what happens when you invite them especially in the the time of, of a global pandemic to come close to something you know we've spent the last year and a half not going close to things and being very aware of not being close to things and so that's a, another level of meaning i guess or level of thinking that's gone on in my, my practice what happens when I'm doing exactly the thing we've all been told not to do for the last year and a half. Hearing you talk about this in that way I'm reminded of um, the skin as an organic surface and thinking of attachment in terms of weaving like closeness but also being linked to other parts like the connectivity of it all of something that is a whole but made of different parts so I don't know, this is going to be very loose as a question, but what comes to mind when you think of attachment and intimacy and privacy, is there any, are there any thoughts related to, to your painting or the process in terms of those terms? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I think outward, like on the surface, my works don't necessarily speak of intimacy and, and kind of maybe person-to-person -person interactions, but it is a big part of my thinking as I'm making in actual fact. It's the, it's always been the physical activity of painting, that conversation, that dialogue with a substance, the human hand and the, the implement or the tool when we're making paintings. But then also the idea of, of touching that you, you alluded to there is very important. And uh, this piece was part of a, uh, a larger project called Touching Distance that was uh, funded by the by Creative Scotland, in which I made a series of paintings and, and expanded works, which in various ways were about distance, proximity, barriers, etc. And as part of that as well, I, I wrote a little piece about the tying of knots, and that spoke a little bit about how there's a real beauty in in like the act of tying a knot, that physical interaction with. A material a rope in this instance where you tie something you pull it taut and in that action of pulling something taut each part of this this thing that is not that you've created is touching every other part that they all become interlinked they all become part of a almost shared experience and i know that's that's maybe um, stretching it a little bit far and you know a not a shared experience but that idea of weaving something together of having different parts touching each other of having something that would collapse in on itself if part of the structure wasn't quite correct is this um i guess a metaphor for our, our own interactions our own ways of being our own structures that we set up around us i suppose how much chance element are you allowing into the weave of those images like I think you said at the very beginning that if something goes wrong in your eyes, you would scratch it all off and start again. But I can see a lot of organic brush strokes that are not machine made or they're very human and, um, you know, they're very organic in my eyes. 
so how much of the chance element are you allowing and how and where is the boundary for you where do you feel like it's not good anymore not what you are intending to do that's the, that's a really a really difficult thing to try and answer but I'll, I'll do my best um I did mean it when I said that if something went really wrong, I just scrap it. I just scratch it, wash it all off and start again. But knowing when something's gone wrong or when something can be adapted or or changed a little bit or reacted to, that's probably the best word to use, is quite a fine line. What I, I find when I'm making works like this, and I've described this to other painters as well, and they, they very much understand this process of you make a mark and then the next mark is in conversation with that previous one. It's reacting to it. And then the next one is reacting to the previous one. And sometimes if you end up with a bit of a wiggle, for want of a better technical term, you have to then think, right, am I going to correct that to try and straighten up? Or am I going to go with it? Is this, this kink going to maintain all the way through this weave? And it becomes this uh, almost like a process of going with the flow and thinking, right, this is working. This isn't, oh no, I need to correct this. And if you miss that moment of wanting to correct something, then it might well be ruined. So it's always this dialogue, this conversation that, and uh, you might even be able to hear my voice. I'm, I'm almost smiling as I'm saying this because that's the beauty of painting. That's the, the thing that I love more than anything where you're, you're entering into this conversation, this debate, this challenge as you're pushing pigment on, on substrate. So Graham, I'm thinking of uh, weave, and this answer that you talk that you just gave us uh, starts to touch on that uh, materiality, really, of the painting, and um, thinking about the materiality of weaving, because there is this illusion, right, that the painting is creating, and um, this illusion, I am thinking, is if we put in relationship weaving and painting which it sounds to me that in your practice, you have an expanded practice and painting is part of it, right? And uh, I'm, I'm just imagining this, in the making of this weaving in the painting and creating this illusion, <laughs> uh, how much, or if there is any at all, uh, frustration <laughs> with not actually weaving something, grabbing it in your hands, but keeping it on the surface, right? Uh, and I think I am speaking here about the limits of painting itself as a medium. Yeah, I mean, I I can answer that in, in, in probably a number of parts. The first part being that it does frustrate me. And in my studio at present, there's a number of different looms on various scales, which I'm terrible at weaving. Like I've, I've tried it. I, I do it, you know, with, with various materials. And there's something about the my, my kind of innate clumsiness that I, I don't have the delicacy for. I can be pretty dexterous and deft with paint, but this other skill is quite alien to me. And it's the same with, with sewing as well. I, my sewing is never neat. I could do a job, but it, it's not accurate. And, and so painting has this really interesting like halfway house almost. I was describing this. I almost don't see it as a, a painting of a weave. I see it as a weave made of paint. And that distinction sort of is that halfway house is that that blurring of the line I think between the the, ob the real object the weave that I can't quite manage that I'm not trained in that I'm not I'm not good enough I'm not confident in and and pure painting 
itself. So it's it's that that I'm I'm quite interested in actually about how it it acts as a, a bit of a substitute for the thing that maybe deep down I really want to do. How can I imagine the surface? Is it kind of bumpy or is it really smooth? How textural is it? Yeah, it is quite smooth. There's it maybe when it's photographed actually it looks like it might have um, it might be more three dimensional than it actually is and it's to do with it the way that I, I thin the paint that I need it to be of a certain consistency that it's really one sitting that you paint in you know if I'm making a very large painting it's it's really all done in, in one sitting so you mix up the right amount of paint the right amount of chemicals the, the thinners the dryers so that you get really one proper go at it in one sitting and the the nature of the the thinners and the dryers means that it, it it sits down onto the surface, onto that prime surface. So there are some undulations, but it's quite glossy. It's quite a lot smoother than you, than you actually realise. And I think going back to, to a word that was mentioned earlier, the, the idea of the illusion, that from a distance, it, it almost looks machine-made like enough that it could pass as a weave in a certain way, But it's as soon as you come closer and you start to see the, the actual bristle marks, the, the slightly bumpy edges, the, the ways where it doesn't quite join and, and it becomes, hold on, that's definitely a painting. And, and it's not necessarily a painting pretending to be a weave. It's not really trying to fool anyone, but rather it's, it's more play on a surface. It's seeing what happens when that paint is, is pushed and pulled in that way. That's the idea anyway. How do you plan the time and how long does it take? How, how do you manage the time for making the painting? It, it varies, of course, according to the, the time that I know that I've got in studio um, with two young kids and, and lots of other things on the go. It's about trying to find a, like a definite period, like a, a couple of days where I know that I can prime and sand a surface and I can get it so it's as smooth as glass so that I know the paint is going to just sit on top. There's not going to be any areas where it's not been primed and sealed correctly that the paint is going to sink in and you'd have these these odd little marks around it. So there's a, a, at least a day for that, just making sure that everything's just right in the preparatory stages. And then perhaps it's it's maybe a period of about three or four hours for the initial weave to be painted. And then another occasion when that's all dried, I would come back and I would add in some of these glimmers that appear to be behind the weave, but are actually the, the last layer of paint to be added and that, that go on to this. I think after that, then it's probably one of the most important things is sitting, looking at it afterwards, because I'll make paintings and I'll think, yeah, that kind of works. And, and then I'll, if I'm, if I'm lucky enough to have a bit of time in the studio, I'll hang it up on the wall and I'll, sit about doing other things and I'll keep passing it and looking at it and then turning upside down and re-looking at it and only then when I see it sitting next to other things when I try and place it on a white wall on its own or next to something else in progress and really doing giving it all like a proper once over giving it a real check to see is it working or not do I know that it's finished and I think that's quite an important bit of the work um, and then the making process for me as well. And with this particular one, do you remember if how that process went? Uh, did you change anything afterwards? Did you perceive, notice anything different afterwards? Actually, I, I painted it. Um, it goes, so it's slightly lighter at the top than it is at the bottom. And I'd painted it the other way around. So the, the dark, the way it was painted was the, the darker sections of paint they were at the top and that's when the, the brushes were most loaded with pigment 
And it was after a while it was sitting on the wall, it was next to other things that it just needed to be the other way around. I can't really pin down why that was, but it needed to be upside down from the way I'd painted it to have that that level of finish, that kind of comfort with it that, that I now have. Do you paint the panel horizontally on a table or do you have it on the wall? Um, a bit of both. So I do the, the weave section where it's it's flat and it's normally not on a desk, normally it's on the floor. Uh, regardless of size, I've always worked best on the floor. I think that's uh, where I'm able to be at my most messy and free as well. If I'm on a desk, I become too precious about things. So floor for the, the main weaving section and then it goes on to an easel and I, and I do the, the detailed elements. I wonder about your relationship to the foreground background since the background or what appears as a background is actually the foreground or at least comes as the last layer so the top layer. Any thoughts on space? Have you always worked in that way or what's been the procedure in your practice in terms of foreground background and space within painting? That's interesting. No, I think these type of weave works, that's the first time that I've I've really worked in that way. Um, I've, I've always been quite conscious of creating a background and and then making lines or making marks on top of that. And, and a lot of my previous works, there was a whole body of works about chain link fences, which were very much geared or focused on showing what was behind them. So you could see a lot of landscapes, you could see paths, you could see greenery, and that was all painted very much in sort of a a landscape mode going way back a lot of them were painted on, on plein air as well and then they came back into the studio and, and, and things were added on top of that the fences the lines of of chain link or sometimes of wrought iron were added very much over the top of it to delineate that that foreground and background to give this barrier to give this the surface of the painting acting as the the foreground this 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 uh plane of the surface that you you have to go beyond or you you can't go beyond and so with this um type of work the weave it's it's maybe less about the the idea of foreground and background and maybe it's you know, now thinking about it maybe it's more tending toward an aesthetic decision rather than a truly spatial um, line of line of inquiry that uh, um, brings me to my question that uh, I'm wondering here, because as I'm understanding, this painting is part of a much larger project that also involves uh, artworks that are not paintings, right? So I'm wondering where and how, why <laughs> do you come up with the decision that you need to do this particular painting? How is it that this particular painting also considering all the things that you have to do besides painting, right? How is it that this particular painting becomes, let's say, a need? Is it a need, uh, right, in your practice that you decide that, oh, this is what I need to create now and this is what I need to make now? Yeah, um, so, so some of the works for this project, there were, there were large bits of canvases that were unpicked. So I, I unpicked meter upon meter of single threads um, and then double threads from the other direction of these canvases to get these. The idea was to try and almost offer glimpses or, or ways that you could peek through these these cotton canvases. And so although they weren't necessarily paintings, they were very much using the architecture and the structures of paintings. And that was they were geared toward that idea of removing something to look through. And as counterpoint to that, I felt that that I need to see if I could make something that wasn't about removing, but was about creating from 
from scratch something that was positive if we've made a, a negative removing something then we've got something positive from painting uh, from paint and it, it all stemmed from a, a desire just to see what happens if I try and weave paint I mean I've always been fascinated by the the idea of layering paint, of trying to see what happens when you put one brush stroke on top of another, or you obliterate one uh, using using a, a, another brush, and you you're sort of playing with things on the surface. And so, the the need to make a painting like this is was very much almost in reaction to that painstaking labour of unpicking these this thing, this canvas that I would normally paint on, let's say, and paint was the, the way to do it. It was, I wanted to see what this looked like as a painting because at the core of everything, even though I maybe make things that are from wire or from wood or from canvas or paper, uh, they're still using the lens of painting, the, the language of painting. I would, I would always describe them as they're using all these things that I see as, as part and parcel of a painterly process in order to investigate something, to find out what happens if I'm very curious about that notion of looking, especially in your work, because when we speak about that as artists, we usually refer to looking at something. But in your practice, I'd be curious about not just looking at, but also looking through and what it really means to you, to your practice, and how that is different than looking at maybe a different painting from a different artist. Um, I mean, it's, I don't think it's maybe always the case that, that with Everything that I do, it's about looking through. But thinking back, I mean, there are, yeah, there's been quite a few examples in recent shows where I have tried to employ that, that idea of looking through something. Um, you know, it's, quite, it's kind of putting me on the spot a little bit. I quite like that. I guess it's almost a bit, there's a bit of theatricality about it, perhaps. That idea of because a stage set or a, or a prop or something or something that, that's placed artificially to allow us to to look beyond or to try and see something slightly differently than we might normally. I mean, I've got documentation of, of some previous shows where, you know, thinking about them now, I, I took photographs through other objects to look at the paintings behind because that in itself was quite interesting, that idea of having things that were definitely more prominent for a viewer and then paintings further away. And, and that idea of does that entice us toward those, those those paintings? Does it block our views? How does that engage with what we we normally think of as of, of, or how rather how does how does that impact on how we normally would view a painting hung, hanging on a wall? I think I'm quite interested in that. That's, that's a really good question. It's a really good um, observation to try and think about perhaps a little bit more as well that it, it is maybe about that idea of of structures in front of paintings to, to look at something slightly differently. And in fact, this little painting, it was hung in the in its exhibition, it was hung in a corner. So it wasn't flat against the wall, it was actually hung right in a corner. So effectively you could see behind it. And I guess in yeah, without really thinking about it almost subconsciously, I've been interested in that idea of of allowing that possibility of maybe seeing something at its edges, seeing it behind or, or seeing something by looking through another type of object, perhaps. That uh, made me think, Graham, that about the answer that you gave us of what came before this painting and, and then uh, prompted the making of the painting, uh, which in a certain way creates this notion of a creative process that uh, is a little bit linear, right? There is something that comes 
before and then you respond to it and then there is something else that you notice that comes after while this uh, viewing process uh, is not linear at all right and is not it, it, it has a whole kind of even immersive uh, feeling to it that uh, is considering everything that is around and uh, all the feelings that we have in our bodies around the painting and everything else that is around the painting. Um, and uh, with that in mind, I wanted to ask you uh, then what comes after, but not after in this linear way, <laughs> but uh, after in this complex way, after the making of this painting, what is this painting bringing up? Yeah. Um... I mean, since making this, I have gone on to make another few weave paintings to try and better understand the, the structures that I was working with. You know, coming from a background as a painter and certainly not someone who works in, in fashion and textiles. And so trying to learn a little bit about double weaves and single weaves and, and various other patterns that can be created. So I made a, I've made a few more paintings um, along those lines, but it it did definitely push me in a direction of kind of reaffirming that that love of surfaces and that materiality and working on how I can really showcase that engagement with surfaces and the the love of pushing and pulling paint to to see what happens when we we are offering viewing experiences as artists that entice people towards them to maybe question what order they've been made in. I was really quite interested in, in how, how many people at an exhibition opening asked, how was this made? What, what was the order of it? Did you paint the background? And then have you, you laid this on the other paint on top? And so even that, that order, that structured making process is something that I've, I've drawn from this that I'm, I'm looking to try and question a little bit more. Thank you, Graham. We'd like to ask you our last question which would be, what do play, rest, and nurture mean to you? Play, rest, and nurture. So um, I think starting with play, I, I very often say to, to students, and I, I try and remind myself of this, I think as lecturers and, and tutors, painters are probably sometimes the worst people at taking their own advice. And often what I, I have to remind myself is that, that making things should be playful in, in many ways yeah sure there can be really big and difficult ideas but it is play that should be happening in in my studio as as often as possible and and when something isn't fun and isn't interesting I need to really examine it and try and think should I really be doing this so I I think play probably means or refers to what I would most want to be doing in studio uh, rest um Letting, letting stuff sit there for a while after you've made something. And I used to be very terrible at making knee-jerk reactions, saying I didn't like something, turning it to face the wall and, and never looking at it again until it went out to the recycling. But I've got a lot better at letting stuff rest and really sit for a period of time. And even if it's challenging to place it on the wall or to, to sit it next to something that I do think is successful, I think letting it sit, sitting with it and looking is a really important thing. And for nurture, um, I guess I'd, I'd say that I'm always trying to to look at new things, to, to see exhibitions and to see shows that, and of course all artists are trying to do that, but I guess trying to make sure that I'm seeing things that I don't necessarily know an awful lot about, trying to constantly be exposed to as many new practices, to new processes and new ideas as I can be, because I think the the richer your visual experiences, then the, 
the more interesting, I guess, that studio play can be. That's wonderful. Thank you, Graham. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us. The Artist Praxis podcast is created by Deborah Fation Grodsky and Sarah Ariagada. Original music by André Javi. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and leave us a review. That will help us reach a broader audience. If you are an artist and would like to be interviewed, or if you would like more information about the podcast, please visit artistpraxis.com.